This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. Today's episode brings you defense and homeland cloud computing in government. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss progress being made with cloud computing programs at the Department of Defense and the Department of Homeland Security. With me on today's show are Frank Konitsky. Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Air Force. Shane Barney, Chief Information Security Officer at United States Citizenship and Immigration Service. Dave X, Chief Technologist and Director at Red Hat. Tom Mills, Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Customs and Border Protection. James Nika, Advisory Solution Consultant, Business Architect, ServiceNow, and Nicholas Speech, Chief Federal Technologist at Snowflake. Well, we started with consolidating data centers. And then we went to, is it riskier to move into the cloud or is it more risky to not move into the cloud? And then we went to cloud first and then cloud smart. Now we're talking hybrid clouds, we're talking multi-cloud, uh, lots of tools and techniques to make that happen. It's all about enabling the mission at the end of the day. Uh, Frank, let's start with you at Air Force. How are we doing on the cloud journey at Air Force? We hear a lot of great things out there in the press these days. We're doing some good stuff. The, uh, the newest is we developed a marketplace, a DevSecOps support marketplace. Basically, you can uh, get licenses for tool sets, you can get licenses for support personnel, you can actually get whole environments established for you, especially for vendors as well as for Air Force men. And at the same time, you can actually get a library of certified services that are in secure containers. So what we're trying to do now is to take the capabilities that we have, accumulate them together into a marketplace so that anybody can actually use this marketplace, be it a vendor, that we can actually buy, that the uh, application owners can actually buy the equipment or whatever, or release the equipment as the case may be as a GFE to the vendor, as well as for the airmen themselves to actually come in. And we actually now have various environments. We have a development environment, a test environment, production environment, you can get at the same time. And you can go uh, down to a, a point where you can also get to this uh, secure cloud pretty soon now. Basically, the secret cloud is coming out, and we have some connections into that right now to do some of the, the data work that we're doing. So we have a large environment now, and we have a centralized cloud broker, which we call Cloud One, which is kind of interesting. But uh, the, uh, the broker is responsible for ensuring that when you migrate the applications, that they're migrated correctly. And at the same time, uh, that the utilization of them is there, and they get optimized into the cloud environment so they don't have excessive uh, costs, whatever, so. Wow, sounds like some clean, seamless capability where your operators that are trying to migrate into the cloud can just pull those goods and services and, yes, and go, go, which is uh, really the spirit the, of trying to use now. that, that yep. uh, capability. Shane, I know you all have been on a journey over there at USCIS to implement uh, a variety of capabilities in the cloud, and I think now uh, even broadening into hybrid and multi-cloud capabilities, et cetera. Tell us about the, uh, the latest progress over at USCIS. USCIS started in, in cloud well over 10 years ago uh, with some of our first early applications, um, and, and now we're 90% cloud, maybe more actually. Wow. Um, we're down to a single, really just a single application left in one of our data centers that we're in the process of transitioning. So I mean, you know, in terms of going to the cloud, we're there, have done that, been there. 
And, and now the new, the new journey, the new adventure is this, the concept of multi-cloud and moving beyond a single cloud provider to something slightly different. Looking at serverless deployments and, and breaking down our, our current kind of monolithic uh, application to more microservices. Uh, and, and begin leveraging more and uh, more of the technologies that are available to us via cloud, especially on the public side, because that's prim primarily we exist. Um, you know, we're also looking into how we, from a security perspective, how we can streamline security. Um, I, the idea of uh, you know the ATO existence as it stands today, where you're you know you're looking at months, maybe months at least. Sometimes you know I would love to see it. Some people say weeks if you're lucky. For me, I'd like to see ATOs in hours. Um, you know, cloud allows for us that level of automation. It allows for us to do certain things like that. And I think as we shift also towards a, a more microservices sort of containerized process, you're almost going to have to do something along those lines anyway. So our next real, from a security perspective anyway, our next big push is to move towards a more automated solution for ATOs and let's focus on the actual security and less about the paperwork. Sure, as you kind of automate that whole capability, you know, infrastructure as code, repave the, the environment, you know, you want to be able to sort of uh, automate your entire ATO. You know, we always talked about ATO in a day, you know, maybe it is ATO in an hour, right? You know, CIS raising the bar again. The gauntlet has been put down. I believe it has. Dave, how about at Red Hat? You guys are right in the middle of really enabling that capability. Once you're out in the cloud, now you need these tools and techniques to, you know, build these environments so that you can, you know, fulfill the promise to the mission, right? Yep. Yeah, no, it, exactly, Luke. We've been seeing, and, and Frank and Shane stole uh, what I was going to say, a lot of it. Uh, but to, to underscore, no, but, but to underscore what they've been saying, um, you know, hybrid is that reality of, of uh, uh, you know, being able to go from, um, you know, on-prem to out to the public cloud and, and having an open substrate where you can move workloads around is, has been really, really important from what I've seen. Uh, you know, at the government symposium that we had in November, you know, we had DHS, we had the Air Force on the stage talking about a lot of the great work that they've been doing, ranging from workloads running in the data center to workloads uh, running on uh, the public cloud vendors to um, they even talked about um, uh, uh, Kubernetes running on an F-16. So, you know, talk about hybrid cloud, right? That's very hybrid. And they said that the uh, F-16 Kubernetes workload was without uh, hardware modification. Wow, that's impressive. I guess um, I'll be looking forward to Kubernetes on my watch, right, at some yeah. point. Um, uh, Tom, how about at CBP? I know that you all are on a, on a massive journey over there. Uh, you're right smack in the middle of the supply chain of the United States of America, good services people. Uh, you know, this this cloud journey is, is, is super important for you guys to fulfill your mission. Um, yes, and I think Frank, Shane, and Dave actually covered a lot of the same points that we had over at uh, CBP. We've been, <clears throat> yeah, we, we've been in the, uh, in the cloud business for a while now. We, we, mm -hmm. we took um, small steps uh, to, to move applications that were completely modernized at first. So Trusted Traveler Programs is our first, first cloud native application that we rolled out. It was a major rewrite of what you Trusted guys, Traveler being what used to be the, the audience global might, entry yeah, uh, okay. for, for a global entry program. There mm -hmm. used to be a program called Global Online Enrollment System. Right. It was mm -hmm. run on-premise. We actually gutted it, modernized it, moved it to cloud. Um, and uh, using a, a small system that had a high profile uh, kind of helped us realize the benefits of what, what cloud really does. Uh, for the first time, we were able to do deployments in the middle of the day. We were able to roll back um, uh, code changes immediately. Um, so we, we used a high-profile program as our kind of entry into, into cloud. And if you look now, um, about 57 of our 200 uh, or so uh, 
systems are running in the cloud now, including one of our biggest ones with uh, biometric entry and exit. So the facial recognition that you're seeing at the ports of entry uh, for exit and, and entry are, are actually running in cloud as well. So, um, but, but same principles, we, we've created um, marketplaces where you can uh, tap into m managed services uh, offered by cloud and most recently, um, much like our, our counterparts everywhere else, we, we're, we're looking at uh, what we can do in hybrid cloud. So some of the things that we've done uh, we've actually worked with 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 your folks, Dave, and, and actually taking containerized workloads running on premise, mm -hmm. uh, so that we can prove we can run it in our data center, mm -hmm. um, as well as uh, move it to Amazon, move it to Microsoft, move it to the Google Cloud, um, and 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 so we're making a lot of strides in in that uh, in that realm. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the 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 best techniques available is that you can take these capabilities, put it in a container run it in an environment that you're familiar with, namely your data centers a lot of times, and then all of a sudden you can port this around uh, into these other environments and get the beauty of the elasticity and some of these other things that you, you all desperately need, right, to, to perform your missions. Uh, James, tell us what's happening at ServiceNow. You're in a lot of different agencies out there. You're working with, certainly with Homeland and with, uh, with DOD in a lot of spaces. Different kind of cloud play there, right? Full stack kind of capability, uh, full SaaS kind of capability. Something really important for these agencies that when they want to turn something on very quickly, they can do it and enable it. Absolutely, so a lot of these gentlemen here are actually customers of mine, so that's, mm -hmm. that's a testament to, to uh, the importance of, of ServiceNow as a platform, a cloud native platform, and we do play in that space. Um, what we do see is that, um, in DOD, you do need to be able to handle both the on-premise as well as the cloud service provider type capabilities and deliver those um, um, to you know the workforces and to the warfighter. Um, we're also seeing there's particular areas where there's a lot of uh, modernization using cloud computing, and that's really around uh, enterprise operations. So I'm thinking about things like acquisitions, right, which uh, tends to be more of uh, um, you know a limiter on efficiencies or being able to uh, help you know, decision makers such as these gentlemen uh, be able to make decisions more proactively. And that's a visibility challenge. And using those cloud platforms such as ours, um, you know, and it's not the only one, uh, we're able to surface that. And because the cloud is elastic um, and we can do this on multiple clouds, we can you know, bring that data to bear, get the insights, and get these folks to be able to make decisions. So it's really about that optimization of enterprise operations. Yeah, and you know, once upon a time, a lot of these SaaS plays, if you will, uh, we were all talking about FedRAMP and can you get FedRAMP certified? And I think that journey is, you know, we're, we're over that, that, that sort of, uh, that hump, so to speak, and uh, most of these capabilities, including yours, as I understand it, is uh, FedRAMP certified, you're off and running, you know, on, on both your moderate and your high. I think that's fantastic to allow these agencies to really enable their mission. All right, Nick, over at Snowflake. Once, tell us what Snowflake is for the audience so they understand that, and then how do you fit into this cloud journey that these agencies are on? Absolutely, so Snowflake is the latest evolution and maybe revolution of database in cloud. Uh, we took a, uh, an existing problem that all of our government customers had, trying to move data into cloud, keep that data secure, and allow it to share at scale that's uh, inherent to the cloud, uh, Snowflake has been built from the ground up, brand new database engine to do exactly that. And it's interesting timing that Snowflake is out because as, as Shane and Frank alluded to earlier, and Tom as well, 
There's always been an, an intent to go into the cloud in government, not every agency, some more uh, aggressively than others. But recently, we've seen policy catch up with that. President's management agenda, the Open Data Act, all of these things that are supposed to be driving all government agencies to get there. So policy's catching up. And then to the Snowflake, Red Hat service now, these platform side, the technology is finally catching up to the intent as well. I'm sure a lot of what uh, DHS and the Air Force has done has been turning their own screws, writing their own code, a lot of very in-depth work. The tools like Snowflake, like Red Hat, like ServiceNow are making it easier to do that, to put more capabilities into the cloud faster. Yeah, you know, and I mean, at the end of the day, any level of extraction that you can have so that you can really zero in and focus on enabling the mission is a good thing, right? Gone are the days of trying to Frankenstein these things together and, uh, you know, got a lot of smart people very proud of doing that, but look, this is all about enabling the mission, right? And to that end, Tom, let me start with you. I want to ask a question about, uh, tell us about a specific program uh, perhaps uh, that you were running uh, in, a, in an environment, moved it over to the cloud, all of a sudden got all these capabilities of uh, organic services that are available in the cloud, elasticity, whatever it is, something for our audience to, uh, to be able to identify to. Sure, um, so good example. We've moved a lot of our backend services, things like recording crossing history, things like um, um, you know, the revenue calculation for duties, um, as microservices on the back end. Which some might not understand. How much revenue do you all collect a year? So we, we doubled, I think we are now up to, I, 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 I think we're, we doubled what used to be, back in my time it was about 40 billion. I think we're billions up to Billions and billions billion, collected uh, through this agency. Um, but we've taken a lot of those as backing services or, or, or APIs that you can hit um, that, that are microservices. And, and what, what has, it has done for us is we can now change form factors on the front end. So we can do mobile devices, we can do you know, various different ways of entering data and interacting data. And because we are writing to an API, um, that the, the application and how we access the application doesn't change. And, and if duties are, are, are assessed on, on different commodities because that uh, uh, service is, is a backend service, it can change and modify everything on the back end as long as the API doesn't change uh, the inputs and the outputs are, are consistent. You don't break the applications. You can independently deploy these things. And the net result is we can get uh, applications, features, capabilities out to our mission users and to our public users quicker. Right. Um, and, and you know what used to be a every three month rollout of, of capability is now stuff that uh, you know, if, if a tariff change is, is issued, we can, we can do that within the day. Right, right, roll it out in the middle of the day if completely necessary. Frank, how about at the Air Force? I know that you all have been doing a lot of different things out there, heard a lot about some of these capabilities, including some that were just mentioned. Maybe give us a specific program that you've rolled something out into the cloud, big change to the airmen and women. Just one program, huh? Okay. Well, there's plenty, but <laughs> there's we'll just plenty. do one. There's one. Oh, let's, let's start with the Air Operations Center. I mean, we talked about this before. The Air Operations Center, where we actually had airmen actually develop things on a platform, they actually come out with real code. Now, that's been extended into the space program, that's been extended into the, the uh, mobile application program as well. So that's been a success as we go forward. We take the same capabilities that we had in automating a platform and having the airmen do this into another realm, another domain, if you will, to actually increase the capabilities across. 
And there's one I want to mention. We actually have taken a mainframe application and moved it in a different platform onto a cloud environment now. So that's kind of unique. We didn't change the application a whole lot, but it had to be moved. And we didn't want to refactor it because that would take forever. So mm -hmm. it was a question of moving it. So we got, so we're moving it into different environments now as we do this. Besides, you know, doing our own code, there's ways of using different platforms to actually move things now. Which I thought was amazing. An article I read about the Air Force where the uh, airmen and women were actually doing some of the coding in some of these areas. It's great to see that on the mainframe too, to get into this new cloud environment enable some of the uh, capability that the cloud has to offer, including redundancy, et cetera. Dave, how about at Red Hat? I know there's a whole bunch of programs. You all are involved in a lot of different agencies. Can you name one out there that uh, you, you saw sort of that journey into the cloud where it really uh, enabled the capability? Yeah, so I'm, there are so many, but I, I think one of the, and it ranges from uh, going from, you know, out to the public cloud to like even potential workloads running on spaceships. And, and so over time, we've been seeing a lot of customers that would um, look at moving to the cloud, but then they, they end up having uh, trouble um, you know, learning the, the different uh, cloud-isms of a particular cloud vendor. And so what, they've been, what we've been getting them to do is standardize on uh, things like OpenShift to be able to move, um, take the things that they know on-prem and be able to move that out to the public cloud to abstract um, that away from um, what they've been doing, and you know, for for example, like at the at the Air Force, you know, we've, uh, one of the things that uh, we've been working with them on is, um, you know, uh, you know, Shane was talking a lot about ATOs and being able to, um, you know, get ATOs quickly. One of the things that we've been looking at is how can you, instead of getting an ATO based upon the artifact of what gets comes out and that the paperwork is automating what the pipeline, what the process, or uh, uh, getting the ATO for the pipeline and the process that you're developing. And so, um, so whenever you go to do the, the, the ATO, you're looking more at the processes and to, uh, to see how they change and you, you get the ATO for them, which allows you to do more of a continuous ATO as opposed to doing something annually. Which, let's face it, I mean, that's really the end game, right? You want to you move away from a paper tiger, right? Which was a, a good way to start this, but now that you have these tools and techniques that you can continuously monitor these capabilities, yep. continuously uh, 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 roll that out in an automated fashion, that's really the way you want to handle this, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that, that seems like um, uh, a, a much more natural progression in regards to just a full DevSecOps, again, yep. repaving that capability. If you can't ATO it, you can't turn it on, right? Exactly, and it's, it's very much like how you do the, um, uh, like you mentioned, infrastructure as code, we're doing things like compliance as code. So um, being able to not only uh, you know, document how the, um, the, the compliance is done, but being able to have tests to see if things have drifted. And you can make that a part of your CI/CD pipeline uh, to be able to measure what your security posture Always is. Always got to measure it and meter it. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Cloud native development is obviously cloud first, but it's not cloud smart when the tools lock you into a particular cloud provider. Hi, I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat. For cloud smart, cloud native development, federal agencies overwhelmingly choose OpenShift. It goes where you want to go whether on-prem or any major cloud provider, or both, all on your timetable, not a vendor's. Learn more about cloud-smart cloud-native application development from the experts at redhat.com slash government. 
For many government agencies, the question isn't whether to move to the cloud. It's about which services can deploy more efficiently and securely via the cloud to provide the agency with additional capabilities to better serve citizens and employees, often with less internal cost and resources. At ServiceNow, we pledge to improve efficiency and engagement with a single cloud platform. ServiceNow, we make the world of work work better for people. Snowflake is the data warehouse built for the cloud. Federal agencies require modern business agility and secure data insights to leverage data as a strategic asset across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com federal. That's snowflake.com federal. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Frank Kaneski with U.S. Air Force, Shane Barney with USCIS, Dave X with Red Hat, Tom Mills with U.S. Customs and Border Protection, James Nika with ServiceNow, and Nicholas Speets with Snowflake. We're talking about cloud computing and DOD and DHS, we were just asking and uh, referring to a specific program that you want to identify where you've moved that into the cloud. In your case, Nick, I'm going to ask you at Snowflake where you've seen some of this stuff move into the cloud and it's really enabled the mission, a uh, big difference from where it was to where it is. Give us an example of that, if you would. So, uh, where we've focused so far in Snowflake, we've had the, the greatest initial success has been in government healthcare. So, over yeah. in Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, we're doing some, some really great work over there with those folks, integrating their data into a cloud environment, both for research and innovation purposes, which is uh, huge in that space, but also in cost savings and fraud detection. This is something that we're gonna see a lot of, I think, in the future in federal, uh, and also at the state and local level, being able to get access to different compartments, what would have been traditional compartments of data, to start doing analytics across those to do things like fraud detection, pattern detection, uh, better medication, better detection in our own environments for cybersecurity needs, so on and so forth. So I think that's really where Snowflake has seen that greatest advantage so far, uh, and we're looking forward to what we see in the future as well. Look, this data play is, is a huge part of this, right? I mean, at the end of the day, this is about uh, the data, the use of the data, presenting the data back to the operators so that they can perform those uh, very necessary missions. Uh, James, how about over at ServiceNow? Can you give us an example of um, uh, a program that uh, enabled this capability using your tools and techniques and made a big, big, big change in that program. Absolutely. So, um, you know, we've traditionally actually, the civilian business has led uh, quite strongly at ServiceNow, but, you know, working on the DOD side, I'll, I'll actually mention one on the Air Force side. So, Air Force Enterprise IT as a service is mm -hmm. a big deal uh, that has uh, seen them uh, take ServiceNow and use the platform to essentially build service catalogs, a service desk capability that serves you know, the warfighter throughout the Air Force. This has been game-changing in, in our view in terms of how the Air Force actually thinks about uh, the transformation and the move to the cloud. Uh, it's, it's clearly a sign that they've, you know, they've taken leadership here uh, in the role of going forward in the DOD and demonstrating how you can actually use cloud computing solutions and native uh, capabilities that come with these platforms to 
to actually serve the wolf fighter directly. So that's been a huge uh, uh, piece. So all this service cataloging, self-service within uh, 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 the Air Force, having the warfighter serve themselves with various kinds of resources that they need every day. It may be as simple as having the email checked or access on the network, uh, to even requesting access and time on weapon systems and training simulations. Right, and just, just general provisioning and having that capability built into uh, a, a software as a service platform like this where you can just sort of enable that right out of the box, don't have to code it, et cetera, I think is fantastic. Shane, how about at uh, USCIS? I know there's numerous examples there, but maybe just give us one uh, where you can talk about you're in a legacy environment, you've ported it out into a cloud environment, and you know, you're able to experience uh, this type of you know, capability in this new environment. I think the one application that stands out the most for us on that front would be you know, our, our content management system, which in and of itself does not sound terribly exciting. But when you're a federal agency, especially one like USCIS, one of the things you have to have to deal with on a consistent basis is the is the threat or the potential for data spills, especially classified data spills. Um, and, you know, in on-prem data spills, well, there's there's guidance around that. There's policy. We've been doing this for years. We know right. how to destroy drives like there's no tomorrow. We're really quite good at it. Well, cloud presented a, a whole new challenge. There's nothing on it. There, there's just simply is nothing out there for policy-wise. We nobody's ever had to deal with it, or nobody's had wanted to deal with it. So before we could make the leap to go and take all of our data systems with us, um, we had to have the ability to clean up that data before we sure. in, in the event of a classified spill, which we, we see a, quite a few of them. So you know that, that led to the creation of a case management system, which we got authorized to have up to the capability to clean up top secret SCI spills in a public cloud. Um, and, and not only that, the entire process is automated through a workflow process. So what used to would have normally taken, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 labor hours to clean up is now done basically with two clicks of a mouse and, and it's done within three or four minutes. Which is really incredible. It, 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 it was a game changer for us because it, it once we did that, it suddenly enabled us to suddenly transition all these systems that we were kind of holding back on because they were the systems most likely to have a classified spell. Right, and look, the reality is classified spills happen for a variety of reasons. You know, most of the time it's just a... A mistake in one form or another, but you have to be able to pounce on it very quickly and clean it up so it doesn't become a contagion, if you will. So yeah, and, our, and our fantastic. biggest challenge there was retroactive spells. These were things that yeah. we originally received as unclassified, yeah. and then 8, 10, 11 years later, oh, okay. oh, hey, those are classified now, whoops. Oh. And you have to go back and clean them up. Mm -hmm. We now, with, with our case management, I mean, with our content management system stacks, we literally, it's like, oh, okay, we can do that, and, and it's gone. All right, well, let's, let's move over into another uh, area that I think is super important. As you all are early adopters, we have uh, several partners here that are very much involved in that early adoption. There's always lessons learned. I'd like to share that with the audience so that um, they can uh, glean, you know, pluses and minuses in regards to lessons learned as the uh, adoption rate continues to, uh, to accelerate. Dave, let's start with you at Red Hat. Give us some examples of ex lessons learned that, uh, again, pluses or minuses yep. uh, that the agencies, the audiences should be thinking about. Yeah, the, uh, what's really been interesting is the, uh, the cloud smart policy, which um, I look at it personally as more of a, um, a, a detail of the way the world is as opposed to a mandate, right? That, that the world is hybrid. And, um, and so, you know, in the past, things used to be cloud first where everything's going to the cloud and, you know, you default to the cloud. And people are quickly realizing that not every workload belongs in a public cloud. And so what you need to be is smart. Cloud smart. Yeah, yes. you need to be smart about it, mm -hmm. of, of where you're going to place it. 
And and so I think that's one of the the, the big things that that we're that we need to uh, be t- uh, thinking about. And one of the sea uh, level folks that I talked to a little while ago, um, they phrase it pretty well in terms of how they're doing it, where they're looking at um, uh, cloud first for all net new workloads, but cloud smart for uh, where they want to uh, modernize uh, existing workloads. So let's let's you know that's where they have the hard discussion and, yeah. and think about it. So I think that was just like oh that seems obvious. So I I, I really like that. Does make a lot of sense, right? Organic new build uh, straight up in the cloud. Yep. Uh, legacy stuff got to think that through. Be a little smarter about you know what makes sense hybrid etc. Frank, how about at the Air Force? I know you have a lot of lessons learned. You guys were very early in the adoption of the cloud journey. I think the first lesson we learned was that look at your SLAs and make sure you understand them and the overall costs. Mm-hmm. Because as we start moving that way, and let's talk about the hybrid cloud, for instance. When we talk about hybrid, we're talking about things on legacy or things on our bases as well as things in the commercial cloud. However, when you look at the data flows between applications, it's sometimes best to take all the applications that are interlinked with data and move them all at once to the particular cloud instead of keeping a hybrid because you're actually transferring data across the line continuously, which also causes costs and also delays. So you've got to consider not only your SLAs and your costs, but you also consider what applications and the data flows that are occurring between those applications and make sure that when you do this, you look at the entire enterprise and see exactly what you have to do when you want to move because, yeah, we're going hybrid, but... We have to be very careful of hybrid as to what other costs it's going to have besides delaying the mission if necessary. And then you got to talk about you know, the suitability of applications to each particular cloud vendor that we have. Some, things, some are different than others, and depending on what you are doing, it's most important to put them in the right place, especially when we get to some AIML applications now. You've got to put them in the particular places where we have the data at least or come back to it, or you have to figure out what other tool sets are available that we actually use that have in an ATO associated with them that are in that particular commercial cloud. Yeah, one size really is doesn't fit all, and you really do need to look at you know the different types of vendors and what they provide, and making sure that you know depending on what type of uh, application you're talking about, you know this cloud vendor might be better than this one, right? Containerization extracts that a little bit, but not completely. Yes. James, how about at ServiceNow? Can you give us an example of some lessons learned as people are? adopting this new capability that, uh, again, a plus or a minus uh, that uh, we ought to be considering? Yeah, I'd like to highlight three of them. Um, First of all, we're noticing this over and over, which is, you know, the cloud is fundamentally different in terms of what it demands of the workforce uh, and their skills and the ability to work with these workloads. So what we're finding is uh, there's quite a bit of a lack of preparation uh, of that workforce, having them, you know, be skilled in using those tools. So there's a tremendous need to first of all consider the people and really reskill, upskill those folks, let them understand what is different about the cloud than the traditional way that they have worked with IT and different tools there. Uh, and the related point then, which is a second point, would be around you know their experience at work. So having them be able to, to basically have a better experience as work is key. And then finally, thinking about working with platforms as the force multiplier rather than specific tools uh, on the cloud. 
Right. You know, that uh, again, uh, using that platform for what it is, not going in there trying to tinker it, very important to uh, adopt the capability and, and uh, use the natural capabilities that are available. Tom, how about at CBP? I know you have a lot of lessons learned over there, I'm sure. We do. Again, I, pluses and minuses <clears throat> yeah, uh, we do. that I'd, I'd, uh, you'd like to share with the audience. Yeah, I'd, li I'd like to highlight a couple. Yeah, uh, sure. One of the first things that we did was to, we, we kind of took a security first mentality uh, when we did our uh, migration. So, Good move. I'm so, sure Shane is appreciating so, that. So it was, it was a big deal. Um, we did a lot of, uh, you know, road shows on, on myths and rumors of, of what cloud is and what cloud isn't. Um, uh, we were fortunate enough at the time to have uh, a chief security architect who was very cloud savvy, uh, was able to dispel a lot of the myths and rumors around what, what, what works, what doesn't work in, in cloud. So security first was a, was a big deal. Uh, uh, another big thing for us, uh, that we were very comfortable operating under a data center. We we're very comfortable uh, deploying applications the way we did. Uh, so we actually did uh, have cloud evangelists um, and we were able to start with uh, small, start small, uh, uh, make small bets that had big impacts. So I, I mentioned the fact that uh, the Trusted Traveler program, here was a, an opportunity to take something that you know, impacts a lot of the traveling public and, and actually roll something out that, that benefited the public and also uh, was small enough from an pr uh, uh, application, you know, suite of applications uh, perspective within CBP that if we did it, it wouldn't impact a lot of downstream systems. It was, it was a lot of you know, interfaces between systems, but we could fundamentally rewrite it and put it on cloud. So, mm. so it was security first. Uh, we did the whole make small bets, uh, prove out that, that it was better, faster, cheaper. Um, and then uh, the last, I think, we highlighted, it is a very different way of operating in cloud. So, so we had to invest a lot of time in uh, the change management components um, and making sure that the workforce uh, was able to adapt to a different way of doing things. A lot of different, including just smart buying, right? You know, you, you're, you're now looking at a whole different way of operating yes. and just including, you know, um, uh, just how you procure goods and services, right? Everything changes. Uh, Nick, how about uh, at Snowflake? Can, uh, can you give us some lessons learned as uh, perhaps your, your federal customer there that you were referring to was on that journey and uh, some of the things that folks are going to need to be thinking about as they uh, embark in that capability. Absolutely. Uh, data strategy is probably the highlight. A lot of folks, you know, one of the, the key benefits of using something like a cloud-scale data warehouse like Snowflake is all of your data in one place. So uh, not just making sure that we can elastically scale to make all of your dashboards run fast, democratize the data of how your agency runs, that's sort of first base here. Second base, though, is sharing data among different business units that maybe haven't before, or even interagency yeah. between different groups that have never even talked to each other before. Sure. So it's not so much it's a culture problem as much as it is an infrastructure problem. We tend to see organizations, we run and we work the same way that our data is arranged and our systems are arranged. So if we build silos, we'll work in silos. With Snowflake, as we knock down those silos, the culture has to keep up and there has to be a good plan to do that. That would be my advice. Yeah, you know, uh, the, the reality is uh, every operator uh, is, uh, is very protective of their data, right? Uh, how, it's, um, how it's used, how it's reported, uh, how it's secured, et cetera. And, 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 and having a good, solid data strategy, extremely important, right? Absolutely. Uh, as you're, 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 you're walking through this journey. 
Uh, Shane, how about at uh, USCIS? I know you have a lot of lessons learned there. Uh, Maybe you could share a couple with us uh, that uh, the audience uh, may want to uh, be considering as they go on this journey. I I couldn't echo more the security approach first, Um, not just because I'm the CISO. Uh I mean, yeah, that is the day job. But but cloud is, as several have pointed out already, cloud is fundamentally different. Um, the risks are not necessarily greater, they're just, they're just different risks. Um, and, and because of that, people make this assumption that it's just a, oh, it's just another data center, it's just a form of a data center. It, it, is, it is really not. Um, and, and so the things that you would be worried about with a, a traditional data center um, are, are not necessarily of concern or the concerns are different with cloud. And having that perspective going in is critical. Um, the second point that I would make is if your infrastructure is code, your security is code. Um, if you on, a, on your security side do not have a stable of developers behind you, you have fundamentally lost the war. Not just the battle, but the entire war. Um, your entire infrastructure for your security operations on the cloud side is based on code. You will have to write code to automate your, your scripts. We use Lambda and AWS, we use something similar in Google, and we're developing stuff in Azure. Um, that, those are your means by which you're going to automate your checks and ensure that the things that you that are at rest, the things that you're most concerned about, are controlled. Um, and I think the final thing point I'd make out make would be that invest early and often in automation. Um, the expansive nature of cloud and how quickly it grows once you start into it, 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 it is phenomenal to watch. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's not you cannot possibly keep up with the, the log flow, the data flow of information flowing in. Um, automation is your only hope for success. So, you know, having your, your de- development team behind you, especially on the security side, um, but, but basically this applies across the board no matter what you're doing, um, to ensure that as they're going along, the proper checks, the proper gates, the, the things that you need to have happen are controlled and positioned in the places that you need to be positioned. Um, I, I don't fundamentally see cloud any more riskier than anything else. Um, and in fact, I, I would argue that it's less risky. Um, but you have to understand what those risks are and you have to mitigate them up front. Um, if you wait to get behind on that one, you know, by the time you start ca- trying to catch up, you're gonna be so far behind. It, it's, that, that's a, really, it's an impossible marathon. Sure, sure, you gotta, gotta focus on that early, make sure that uh, those tracks are laid down so that there's a, a good thorough adoption rate. Uh, Nick, let me uh, pivot over to uh, major challenges. Let's talk about uh, uh, a major challenge that you see out there that uh, sort of uh, uh, is presented to us as we look at trying to adopt this capability. Absolutely, I, I, going back to my previous comments and comments made here around the table, data governance, security around those things, understanding your environment and how you're gonna control that environment, what access you're going to give. You know, We talk a lot about enabling every organization to be data driven, to share that data among. There's risk inherent in doing that and understanding what data is going where. This is so important that the government has set up a a federal data strategy team to understand how this is going to work. Positions are being created in organizations with just this focus in mind. I think the largest challenge is understanding what you have in an organization, data-wise, where that data is going to go and how it's going to be used. Having a good, solid data strategy uh, that identifies those three points that you made is really important as you're, you, you know, now transitioning into this environment to enable it. Uh, we're going to be back in just a minute. Uh, we're, you're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 
Snowflake is the data warehouse built for the cloud. Federal agencies require modern business agility and secure data insights to leverage data as a strategic asset across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at snowflake.com federal. That's snowflake.com federal. Cloud native development is obviously cloud first, but it's not cloud smart when the tools lock you into a particular cloud provider. Hi, I'm Paul Smith from Red Hat. For cloud smart cloud native development, federal agencies overwhelmingly choose OpenShift. It goes where you want to go, whether on-prem or any major cloud provider, or both, all on your timetable, not a vendor's. Learn more about cloud smart cloud native application development from the experts at redhat.com government. For many government agencies, the question isn't whether to move to the cloud. It's about which services can deploy more efficiently and securely via the cloud to provide the agency with additional capabilities to better serve citizens and employees, often with less internal cost and resources. At ServiceNow, we pledge to improve efficiency and engagement with a single cloud platform. ServiceNow, we make the world of work work better for people. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. With me on today's show are Frank Koneski, Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Air Force, Shane Barney, Chief Information Security Officer, USCIS, David X, Chief Technologist and Director at Red Hat, Tom Mills, Chief Technology Officer, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, James Nika, Advisory Solution Consultant, Business Architect at ServiceNow, and Nicholas Spies, Chief Federal Technologist at Snowflake. We're talking about cloud computing and Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security. We were just talking about major challenges. Tom, let me throw it over to you and talk about uh, major challenges that you see out there as far as, you know, any type of, I'll say a barrier, but any type of uh, uh, capability that needs to be overcome so that you can continue to accelerate on this journey of cloud computing. Uh, sure, I, I'll highlight a couple. I know we, sure. we, we said one major challenge. I'll, hi, I'll, I'll highlight a couple. For you, Tom, we'll give you a couple. <laughs> Thank, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Luke. Um, and, and, and we look at them really more as opportunities. They're challenges, but they're, they're, they're opportunities. I think we highlighted a lot of these in uh, previous discussions. Uh, but uh, first thing is around the automation bit. Um, if you don't automate um, and don't take every opportunity to automate everything you can, uh, it will slow you down. It, you, you, will you will run into a bottleneck and you will absolutely not be able to deploy um, as, as quickly as, as you And not take do. advantage of the promise of the cloud, right? The, the, right. Absolutely. And I think um, Nick uh, kind of pointed that out. Uh, one of the things that you start seeing is a federation of a lot of the data that's available out there. Um, so we talk about how we uh, traditionally uh, supported a lot of our stovepipe organizations. Um, when we did the cloud migration, we tried to make sure that we included everybody onto, you know, it's, it's not an old concept. There, there is a concept of IPTs that have been uh, put out, but, but when, you're, when you're doing it this at scale, at speed, um, it's really important to make sure you include all your stakeholders, like our privacy, civil rights, civil liberties group, our security folks, um, the application developers, our mission users, um, and, and, and in certain respects, even, even the traveling and trading public. Um, so, so for us, 
Um, the whole way we look at data, way we look at systems, the way we look at the interactions between the system and the data has changed. So the more we include the people up front um, before we actually do the application deployments, uh, the, the better it is because the traditional you know, review periods around, it takes us a long time to uh, review all the privacy documentation, all the security documentation, that's addressed up front. So yeah. as part of our, our the, the biggest challenge we saw was, um, and, and kind of a lesson learned was, make sure you involve everybody right away, uh, because it is it is different, and, and it does offer up a lot of um, better ways to do things, and, and, and federated is good. And you, you'd mentioned, sure. you know, we, we like to hold on to our data. Yep. We, data is, is power. Um, but, but what we have found is when you go to cloud, when you use um, um, a big you know, cloud-based data warehouses and, and embed a lot of the analytics on top of it, you can see cross-domain data that you've never had the ability to see before. So. All of a sudden enables that capability. Frank, how about at the Air Force? Uh, major challenge that you see out there as you're uh, you know, uh, full on in this uh, <laughs> uh, journey. I, th I think we, we have a problem with, well, we're trying to figure out with data continuity if we have to switch between cloud vendors. I mean, this mm, is, a, this is a, right. one of the issues that we have is that if all of a sudden we had to switch or whatever, how you can get the data out fast enough as opposed to if the, we had a, if the, if the vendor had an issue and the cloud, commercial cloud stopped working, could we quickly switch to another cloud with the data? I mean, we could switch right with the applications because they're all containerized. That's the easy part is bringing the data along to make it run is going to be the harder part. Mm -hmm. I think that we're trying to figure that out and some way of automating that as well, besides you know, trickling every data piece we have to another cloud vendor, which we've sure. talked about. And uh, in a simplified form, you know, I was uh, talking to somebody about, uh, you know, it used to be uh, an act of Congress, so to speak, just to get your phone number ported from one carrier <laughs> to another. Now you can do it over the air. Uh, I'd like to think someday that we'll be able to do that with data, but I think we're, we're on a journey there, right? Yeah. Uh, Shane, how about at uh, CIS? Uh, tell us about a major challenge there. Like Tom, I'm going to give you two. Um, I think the first one is actually a supply chain problem. And it's a supply chain problem in a unique way, and it's something that we began experiencing very early on in cloud and noticed. Um, if cloud, part, part of the beauty of cloud is you dump all of your hardware problems back onto the cloud vendor. Okay, that's one way of saying it. <laughs> it is literally what you do. Um, you know, because you've drawn a line in the sand, course, and they're responsible yeah. for everything mm -hmm. on that side, and you're responsible for everything on that side, and hardware is not on your side. From a federal agency's perspective, that's a wonderful thing. However, where your supply chain actually comes down is, if you're, since your infrastructure is now code, your, your actual supply chain problem is code. Right. Um, you know, we are heavy use of open source coding. Um, we rely heavily on that. Uh, the injection of malware and other backdoors and various uh, very things into open source code that you then download unknowingly and, and pull into your environment um, is a huge concern. And then understanding where those code snippets exist inside your environment among your you know, hundreds of various systems, among millions of lines of code, becomes an, an enormous supply chain problem. Um, no, there's not one good solution out there yet. And of course, I've just said that, and you didn't record that part, I hope, because I'm sure I'll get a few calls from some vendors. Second thing I'm going to point out um, is really dealing with you know the multi-cloud the multi-cloud multi environment. Sure. Um, you know, multi-cloud is, for all intents and purposes, a contracting strategy. Um, but but that but really it, the, to go from various clouds has been pointed out. You know that is a huge hurdle to overcome. 
Um, the containers are easy to do. We can run containers in anything. I can run them on your watch. Um, but you know, if if we have to move all that data, uh, you're, you know, I don't even know how many terabytes of data we would have to move. That that becomes the truest. Challenge right. You just get into another evolution of of sort of uh, adopting these tools and techniques and this this fantastic capability. Well, we're going to wrap up with sort of painting a picture of the future. I'm going to start with you, Nicholas. Uh, down there at Snowflake, uh, tell us about you know what does this look like in a couple of years? What can the uh, the community expect to see uh, going forward? What do you guys have in the petri dish over there? Uh, a lot of common themes have come from the table. Uh, containerization has kind of solved the application side. I think we're seeing a lot of um, outcomes via interfaces is sort of where the infrastructure discussion goes. And Shane's been saying it all day today. Infrastructure now is code in cloud environments. That's going to be the way it is. It's a conversation of interfaces. Um, Snowflake, uh, I, I love that Frank brought it up earlier, multi-cloud. Uh, Snowflake is one of the first to do that and to move data between clouds. It's Again, it's the interfaces to get to outcomes. I think that's where we'll see most of the infrastructure decisions go. Again, we're not talking necessarily about hardware anymore. We're talking about these folks need to talk together. How do they do that? What does that look like? What code's responsible? How do we secure those decisions and movements? Um, and how do we secure our environment against failures or malicious actors? So I think we'll keep the security discussions going. We're going to talk less about fan speeds and more about code and interfaces between them. Right, and the data, right? I mean, we're, we're really extracting our way and focusing on what's really important. James, how about at ServiceNow? Uh, what can we uh, expect to experience uh, using a platform like ServiceNow going forward? Well, uh, as much as we love our own platform, I think the future is really a hybrid one where we see ourselves being, you know, sitting side by side with a Snowflake, with uh, the Red Hat components, with an SAP, with all of these. It's not going to be one single platform to rule them all. But instead of a future where you had uh, hundreds or thousands of tools in the enterprise, I think you're going to see uh, three to five to seven platforms being the center and the core within a lot of these organizations. I think you're going to also see the profile of cybersecurity really ramp up even much more beyond what we see today. If you think it's big now, or you just wait and see because of the supply chain challenges, a lot of the challenges with understanding what's going on. And then I think at some point, people are really going to come to understand that it's the change management issue that's going to be core to getting people to modify those processes that then will make the, the push and the demand around these technologies such as uh, uh, our partners have coming into these enterprises. Right, it's all about you know uh, focusing on these various platforms and making sure that uh, they're uh, you know adopting at a capability and enabling the mission. Tom, speaking of the mission, um, what can we expect to see over the course of the next two or three years? You guys are on a journey, right? to move into this environment. Yeah. What, what does that look like? If one were to sort of walk into that environment or the, the traveling public, you know, what, what can we expect to see? Well, I think for our mission users, um, and, and we, have, we have the greatest mission users, they're very demanding, but, but we love our mission users. Um, I think we finally get to what they've always wanted, which is uh, being able to use the latest and greatest technologies and, and integrate them in, in, you know, days, weeks instead of months, years. Um, so you can take a lot of the uh, new surveillance technologies, you can take a lot of the wearable technologies, mobile technologies, um, and, and actually integrate them into systems that support processing at the ports of entry, uh, whether it's uh, people, cargo, and, and goods, um, and, and get those out to the users quickly. Um, and uh, one of the other things that I think the future ho holds is, is the whole 
being able to make data-based uh, decisions using our data uh, effectively um, so that we can use uh, machine learning, AI to enhance a mission, right? We, we, we're, we're hiring officers and agents, um, but, but using technology to enhance and, and let the officers and agents focus on, on the real bad guys and let the ML AI actually uh, identify the, the cases so that we're not, um, you know, traffic cops and directing things at the, at, the, at the ports anymore. We're actually getting into, we know these are the bad actors, we know these are the ones that we, we need to go after. I think that's, that's where the future kind of holds with, with us using a lot of these new technologies and migrating to cloud. Yeah, and you guys really have two big user populations. You have your internal users, your officers, et cetera, that are very mobile workforce, right? They need that mobile yeah. technology. And then, of course, you have the traveling yeah, the public, public, et cetera, that is expecting those capabilities. Yeah, I always like to see being able to automate, you know, and take the robot out of the, yes, uh, yes. Out of the officer, so right? It's, it's and streamlining them to focus. both, both sure. uh, enforcement mission as well as the facilitating uh, legitimate goods coming in and, uh, you know, streamlining how you come in. Uh, I can see a future where we're at the ports, um, you know, you're no longer waiting in lines, uh, in, in long lines. If we know you're good, you, you, we, can, we can facilitate your, your path through, through the entrance into the U.S. And do it securely, and listen, I think we're all behind that, that's for sure. Uh, Dave, how about at Red Hat? I mean, what, what, what's that future look like? You all are right in the middle of adopting this capability, mm -hmm. bringing <clears> that, uh, that uh, you know, community forward to allow these capabilities to happen. What can we expect to see over the next couple of years? Yeah, for me, the real exciting thing is, is AI has gone from the research lab to becoming more and more mainstream, like, like what Tom was saying, of, of being able to use it for real-world problems in production. Um, but what's interesting to me, though, responsibly is that, and securely, of course, my dad. Yes, yes. but and but with AI, um, you know, I think that it's like, well, it's it's at odds with a couple things, right? There's the the data gravity that that Frank was talking about, where it's it's much easier to move compute to where the data in the storage is than it is to move petabytes of data to where your compute is, right? But then you have these GPUs that maybe in certain locations and may not be able to access that, and so we've been doing a lot of work with. Uh, from an operating system standpoint of, uh, you know, and you also think about uh, uh, the GPU access as being, you know, AI, you want to be as close to the metal as possible, but cloud is at odds with that where you have layers of abstraction. Mm -hmm. So how can you have your containerized application talk to a GPU where you're going through the operating system to the hypervisor to the underlying hardware? And so we've been working on with NVIDIA and, and other partners like that to have that fast path. So we're excited about that. Um, but the other part is that data portability, where you can have these containerized applications, be able to have them in a marketplace, be able to share them with other agencies, so that, you know, again, I can, I can give this container to someone, and they can run it close to where their data is. And it can go from the public cloud the whole way out to edge computing devices. Right, and uh, being able to, to move that, again, across that hybrid cloud or multi-cloud environment, and do it, you know, uh, very, uh, very easily yep. and, uh, and, and securely, et cetera, I think is going to be really important. Shane, um, if you were to paint a picture of the future, uh, maybe two dimensions. One, you know, what's it look like for, uh, you know, somebody that's trying to, you know, uh, uh, to uh, pursue a benefit from uh, USCIS or I'm a developer and I'm coming into your environment. You know, what does that look like in a couple of years? So, yeah, two, two different dimensions there, yeah, right? Yeah, I think yeah. there's a couple different things going on. I, you know, it's definitely from the USCIS's perspective for those who are seeking immigration benefits. Uh, which is what you do. Which is what we do. Right. It's the bread and butter. 
um, we you will see a full move to electronic immigration. Um, it has been a, it has been a pathway. It's something we've been trying at for a number of years. Mm -hmm. uh, cloud technology simply enables it. Um, you know the complexities involved in immigration are are mind-boggling at times. Um, I, I'm, I'm amazed at our immigration officers and the work that they do um, because simply I, it just boggles my mind when I see the, the complexities of the job that they have at hand. You know, we, we have we made several runs at this in various forms and fashions over the years and with, with varying levels of success, um, but really starting with Ellis and Ellis's move into cloud, we really begin to realize the true benefits and, and seeing the potential there. Um, we've developed a new architecture around it where we're being driven most more by domains where we build out domain structures within the cloud environments and without picking a single cloud, we're able to basically move across multiple clouds. And that, that is currently underway and being done. Um, you know, so for the future, what you're going to see is, is the ability to simply hit, come into USCIS, fill out all your application with a single, you know, online, you know, mobile device, uh, Mac, it doesn't, it's not going to matter the environment, uh, and be able to see some real-time results that's something we should never have had. On our side, of course, that's going to free up a lot of warehouses and we're going to have to stop mm. taking down so many trees to make paper. Um, and, and that really is our end state goal. I mean, people don't realize how many absolutely millions of benefit requests we get in a given week. And it's not only the, uh, the, the, the ease of the experience, but it's be able to go online, look at the status, et cetera, and be and, able and to shorten that. from our perspective, it also gives us tremendous, on our side, you know, from internally speaking, you know, having everything at your fingertips and electronically, it's going to enable much more mobile, more telework-based sure, workforce. Sure. They no longer are coding around these huge boxes of A files. Um, you know, but it's also going to give us, you know, the ability to audit for fraud yep. and, and to look for patterns within the immigration network to see what's going on. Give us much greater, uh, much finer control over much overall, overall, the overall fantastic experience that uh, we can expect to see. Looking forward to that. Frank, take us home here. We heard about Kubernetes on an F-16. Somebody talked about it on a watch. Where, where does this go? Yeah, that's where you we're know? going. We're, yes. Uh, we're so, move, so we're, we're now, what can have, we really expect to see in the next data couple center, years? Yeah. Micro clouds where the data is actually generated. With the capability of 5G transmissions now, we expect that we're going to have micro data centers everywhere. And I do mean everywhere, on the aircraft as well as on the ground, as well as, for instance, at the depot. Everything will be where the data is. That's where we're moving to now. So we're doing pure hybrid across the board, and you're going to say not so much sent to the mainframe or the main data centers per se, except for security or some other information, unless it's enterprise business applications. But the mission applications are all moving out to wherever the data is being acquired, and that's it's on the airplanes too. I'm telling you right now, we're looking at various things now. So you're going to see between ALML and the various hardware that's out there now, that's capable, capable of actually doing all this, everything's moving out to the field. Pushing all this capability right out to the very edge. Fantastic. Well, this has been a great show, and I'd like to thank today's guests for taking the time out of their busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd like to thank our sponsors for Without We Do Not Have a Show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience, who tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the 2019 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 14 years. This show was produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.